Hi, I'm Chris from Centerpoint in Prattville. I would like to let all of our married couples know about a special event that we're hosting this coming year. It's called the Lifelong Romance Marriage Conference, and it's led by Dr. Doug Weiss. He's a nationally known author and speaker. You don't want to miss this event. We're hosting at the Embassy Suites in Montgomery on February 13 and 14 this coming year. For more information about the event or to sign up, simply stop by the information table at your site today. Well, good morning. My name's uh, Shane Seegers, and I am the director of Multisite, as Chris Britton has already uh, introduced me. And I just want you to know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking when he gets up after the worship and goes, I feel like we've already had church. Let's go on, go home. Uh, but he did say there's more to come. I'm the more to come. So I'm, I'm glad y'all are here today. Uh, looking forward to continuing on in this series, The Incarnation, as we look at, at this incredible gift that God gave us through the birth of his son. And Jesus truly is... Uh, the gift that keeps on giving, the more that we understand who he is and what he's accomplished for us, the more blessings that we see that we have. Now, when you came in, you received uh, a bulletin, and inside that bulletin, there's an outline of where we're going to be going in this message, and there are ushers up front with pens. So if you'd like to follow along with us and fill in the blanks uh, as they're uh, in the outline, just raise your hand, and one of the ushers will get you a pen for you to follow through with. All right, while that's going on, let's have a word of prayer and ask God to, to continue this incredible experience of worship. We are in His presence. He is here today. And we've, we've seen Him, we've adored Him, we've praised Him. And, and now I pray that you want to lean in and listen to Him and hear what He has to say. Not my words, but what God's truth has to say to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this incredible opportunity. You truly do inhabit the praises of your people. And God, we've sensed you here. And God, many of us now, um, our desire is to hear from you. And God, we, we need your word. We need your truth. Uh, we need it to become food to our spirits, uh, to strengthen us, uh, to encourage us, to change us, to give us life. So God, I pray that you'd speak through your word, uh, move me out of the way, and that God, your will would be done in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your outlines, well, you can go ahead and turn to... Point one, and we're just going to jump on in. Uh, John has been doing a series on the incarnation, and like I said, this is the third installment of that. And today we're going to look at how we can know, uh, because of Jesus coming in the flesh, because of the incarnation, we can know how we're supposed to live. And I, I think that's good news. Sometimes, though, I just want to make sure you hear my heart on this. Uh, sometimes when people just give us Jesus as an example, it's not really good news. It's a constant reminder of what we can never attain or how we can never measure up. Today, I want you to see not only is Jesus an encouragement and a model of the life that we're supposed to live, the, the good news is that because he came and he lived and he died for us, he made it possible that we might be able to experience life in the same way. It's not just a model that's unattainable meant to frustrate us. It's a life that you and I can experience and not just can we experience and that it's a real reality. I, it just blows my mind that this is what God desires for each and every one of us. It's the Father's heart. 
<laughs> he wants us to have this kind of life. So I pray that with those ears that you'll listen today. So point one is because Jesus is God in the flesh, we can see how God intends us to live. We can see how he intends us to live. Because he was physical, because he was a, an actual person, he is someone that we can see and we can learn from just what he, uh, the way that he lived. Now, I want to build off of this story because it's Christmas time, and when, obviously when Jesus came, uh, there are so many parts of that story that people who came to see Jesus, one of the uh, most memorable, obviously, are the shepherds. And, of course, they learned about Jesus because they were keeping their, watch, their flocks at night, and then while they were at, at night, the angels came, and they started singing and proclaiming to the shepherds that Jesus had been born in the town of Bethlehem. And that they should go and they would see the Savior, the Christ, the one that had been waiting forever. And they would know that he's the one because they would find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in some cloths. And so this was the news that they had. And when they heard that, the angels sang and then they disappeared. And let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2 and, and see how they responded. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened. Now, every time I, write, I read the word see or seen, I want you to just underline it because I just want to reinforce the, this notion that this is a person that we can see. And so they said, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And you know, I, lo- I love that story. I mean, it just shows that God's he's trustworthy. His promises are all true. And here these shepherds, they went and they saw. And like I said, Jesus is not just a concept. He's not just an idea. He's not just some philosophy to live by. He is an actual person that we can see, a person that we can have a relationship with. And you know what? Jesus was born and they saw him. But the good news is that Jesus, even though he, he wasn't just born and just didn't stay a baby. I mean, he grew up and he grew up and he showed us what it looked like to live life and to have a relationship with the Father and then to, to have purpose. And then he ultimately showed that he was our Savior and our Lord by his death and resurrection. So his life is so important that we can see it. But I want you to know... The disciples saw not just a physical life. They also saw something that told them about who Jesus was. And I want you to see that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. One of his closest disciples, the one they said that loved Jesus. He wrote these words. This one, he's talking about Jesus, who is life itself was revealed to us. I just think it, it's important. That, again, They were clear. They weren't just seeing an example. They weren't just seeing a model. They were seeing something completely different and special. And as they went on, they said, Life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. I mean, that's just the proclamation right there. He's saying, who is eternal life? There's only one who's eternal. That's God. You and I, will have immortal life. Our life won't end. We'll, but, you know, we had a definite beginning. Only God is eternal. So when they say he is the one who is eternal life, I mean, do not miss it. They're saying we saw the one who is God. And he says he was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. 
We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And just a little insight there. I think it's incredible that whether it's the shepherds or those who were closest to him, his disciples who followed him, the the reaction is the same. When they saw him, when they had seen how he lived, they couldn't keep it to themselves. They had to share it. And we have an opportunity every day to see God. We see him in his word. We see him in the life of other believers. I just wonder, are we keeping that message to ourselves? Well, that's just a little side note. Here's the life application about the very fact that we can see God. Is that Jesus still invites us to come and see him. Jesus still invites us to come and see him. I mean, uh, listen to this. This is uh, an account recorded in the book of John about John the Baptist and his disciples. And John the Baptist was the one to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And so he had disciples, and he was the point people to Jesus, and he did that. One day, Jesus, as Jesus walked by John the Baptist, he looked at him and he declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. I mean, look, there's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's the sacrifice for all our, of our sins. He's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. I mean, they left John the Baptist and they followed Jesus. And so Jesus was walking. He looked around and he saw them following. And he asked, what do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Or where are you going? Or can we, can we be with you? I mean, that's really what they're asking because we want to learn from you. And he says, come and see. And I just think that's such an incredible thing for us to know. That Jesus' his invitation is for all. I mean, he didn't look at those two and say, no, you're not really the two I'm really looking for. I'm looking for a, somebody a little bit more stellar than you. You guys are just kind of ordinary, uneducated. No, it was like, you have the passion, you have the desire to know me, come and see. And, and again, it wasn't just for the 12, the original followers, because even now we look back and we know they were ordinary men, but we realize they were exceptional because they saw Jesus and they believed in him first. But look at what it says in Matthew. Jesus gives us another invitation that still stands true because his word is still to us today. And in Matthew chapter 11, many of you have heard this before. Jesus was standing and teaching. He looked at a crowd of people and he said to them these words, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I just want to stop right here because there's some of you probably in this room right now That's probably an accurate description of you. You're weary. You're tired. Um, You're carrying heavy burdens. I don't know what the burdens are. I don't don't know what they are. But I just want you to know, Jesus says, come to me. And this is why I think it's so important. Because uh, look at what he says. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. This is real important. He says, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. See, we're, we're, we're tired and we got all these burdens because we're trying to accomplish and trying to do on our own and Jesus looks at us and says, stop, stop, stop. You're not going to ever get it that way. Come to me and let me teach you how to really have life. And guess what? You have life not by working and trying to do all these things, but by receiving and resting in what I provide. And I think it's so incredible that Jesus offers them this invitation and he offers it to us. But it's an invitation a lot of times different than what we think because we think if we're going to follow Jesus and learn, it's just he's going to teach us with just a bunch of rules and a bunch of 
uh, duties and a bunch of things. And there's things he definitely tells us we should do. But his invitation is not to have more burdens put upon us. It's to have life and to enter into it. And so that invitation is still today. And so, you know, from this point on in this, in this sermon, I can tell you, hey, we can see Jesus. And then what I could do is I could just list all these ways that none of us could measure up to Jesus. <laughs> you know, I could list all the miracles that he did. And y'all could be overwhelmed because I don't know about you, but I haven't done any miracles like that. I haven't walked on water. I haven't fed the, you know, crowd, the multitudes with food. I've never calmed the winds and the waves. I've never done all these things. And a lot of times when we look at Jesus and he's held up as a model, it's kind of like when you have a perfect older brother, and I had a perfect older brother. And thankfully, my parents never said, why can't you be more like your brother? But you know what? There were a lot of people who were thinking, why can't you be more like your brother? And you know what? There was the reality of myself thinking, why can't I be more like my brother? And sometimes when we look at Jesus That's what we hear. Why can't you be more like Jesus? And all that ends up coming is the reality we can't. And it's just more guilt and more rules. And I just want you to hear the invitation is not to follow these awe-inspiring acts. That's not what we're supposed to emulate. I think the invitation is that we'll learn how to live in continual dependency upon the Father that allowed Jesus to have these incredible awe-inspiring acts happen through him. And see, that's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. It's really not about what you can do with your life. It's about what you're willing to surrender and to die to yourself so that his life can be seen in and through you. And that's the invitation. Point two, just simply this. Jesus showed us how to live in total dependency on God. That's the real model. That's the real uh, path that we're called to emulate. Not just his acts, but it's the heart. It's the way that he went about living his life. And I want you not to miss this. He lived in total dependency upon God, upon his Father. Now, this might be a new idea and concept for you. Uh, John 5, verse 19, you're going to see this phrase over and over again that Jesus utters in other passages. But I want you to to hear this straight from Jesus. Because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees one day, explaining who he was. And he explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Would you underline that? The Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now, how many of you, that's the first thought that comes into your mind when you hear about Jesus, is this thought of what He cannot do. It's not for me. I mean, because I think Jesus is fully God. And I don't know if you remember these games when you were little, but I grew up in the church, and we always used to talk, oh, I bet you God could do this. And it was always trying to out you know, one-up the person about what God could do. Oh, well, God could never invent something that he couldn't lift. You know, y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Maybe y'all never played that game. But you always think there's nothing impossible for God. That was the whole point. It was just to continue to blow your mind about what God could do. And now here's Jesus, fully God and fully man, fully flesh, fully human. And he starts off by saying what he can't do. He says, I can do nothing. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I'm dependent. I'm living this life not in a way that you can't. Because a lot of times we look, because here's the note, that even though Jesus is God, he lived his life on earth as a man. He lived his life on earth the same way you and I are supposed to live. He wasn't just a model to show us and frustrate us with a, a life and a style that we could never emulate. He was showing us a way 
that we could experience life the way God always intended for the Father, for God's life to be seen in and through us. And so I get that from Philippians 2, 6 through 7. Because Paul was writing about Jesus and he said, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. See, when you think about God, you never think about limitations. But when Jesus came to this earth and he took on flesh, guess what? He took on every single limitation that we had too. He got tired. He got hungry. He was a baby. He had to grow and he had to learn. He had to be taught. All just like you and I. He lived a completely dependent life. And so that's what I want us to see here today is not just he's some model and we have to try more and more and harder and harder to be like him, but there's a way that Jesus lived that you and I can follow. That you and I can, if we follow this, we'll experience life in a way we've never experienced before. And it's based completely on living a life of total dependency. And so I want you to see how Jesus modeled his total dependency on God the Father for us so that we can see how he did it in his life. Now, you're going to see four points, and you're going to think, oh, my goodness, Shane, you are Barney Fife. How many of you know who Barney Fife is? Barney Fife is the deputy, you know, from Mayberry. Andy's the sheriff, and Barney Fife. And Barney Fife had a gun. You know how many bullets Barney had? One. You're going to go, Shane, every time I've heard you, you've said the same thing. You're going to think I got one bullet, and that's all I shoot. And I just want you to know, I have more bullets But this is the most important bullet that I have right now, and I want you to hear it because we learn by repetition. And a couple of months ago, John and I, we talked about a a series about it's all about relationships. And one of the relationships we talked about is how do we love God more. We talked about four steps, about surrender and about listening and praying and obeying. And that's the way that we experience the life and the love of God. Well, those steps came from the life of Jesus. And they're not rules. They're steps, and I want you to see them played out in the life of Jesus because if we want to have the same type of life as Jesus, we need to follow in his steps. And here's what he said, and here's point A. The first one is surrendering. If you want to live a life of total dependency, you have to learn to surrender like Jesus surrendered. Look at John 5.30. It might sound like John 5.19, but it's a different time. He said the same thing. He said, I can do nothing on my own. Do you hear that? Part of surrendering... It's getting to the point where you realize you have nothing left to give or you don't have anything. You have to look outside of yourselves. And Jesus did, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me, therefore my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. And see, he didn't just start off acknowledging what he couldn't do. He followed surrender all the way to his logical conclusion by doing what God wanted him to do. And we need both aspects to be fully surrendered. We need to realize our lack and our inability for anything, but we also have to say, but I want your lead, and I want your will. Because if I go by my own will, Scripture tells me there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. I always think there's a way and there's a will for me. I have to get out of that. I have to realize that leads to destruction. I need to die to my abilities and my resources and depend upon God and want His way. Because I know this, my way leads to destruction. God's way always leads to life. I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. That's the kind of life he wants. Do you want to surrender to that? Some of us struggle with surrender because it's giving up control. I want you to know, 
Jesus gave up control. Jesus surrendered to his father. And there's three reasons why I believe Jesus surrendered. And I believe those are the same three reasons that will help you and I to surrender. And the first one is this. Jesus knew the character of his father better than anyone else. You know, it's hard just to surrender to anybody. You have to make sure they're trustworthy. You have to make sure they're good. And Jesus knew that better than anybody. He could completely surrender and trust his life to the one who was good. Another reason why Jesus could surrender and you and I sometimes struggle is Jesus was fully convinced of the love of God. He knew that anything the Father asked him to do was for his good. And I've learned this in my life. I can never trust someone until I really know how much they love me. And when someone loves me completely, I can trust them completely. And Jesus knew that about the Father. And that's why he could trust himself to God. He could surrender himself because he knew the love of God. And sometimes we struggle with surrender because we have a cross purpose. We have a different purpose than what God wants us to accomplish. And we're going our own way. We believe God is good and we believe God loves us, but we still want what we want. And I want you to know, Jesus was willing to surrender even maybe what he wanted for the purposes of God. And that's how you can live fully surrendered. You and I can follow those steps. The second thing we can do is listen. Jesus showed us the life of dependency by listening. In John 8, 28, he says, I do nothing on my own but say only what the Father has taught me. Another way of saying that is, I do nothing on my own but say only what the Father has said. Jesus lived in such intimate connection with his Father that he was dependent upon every word from him. And that wasn't just a one-time experience. We also know in, in the crucible of experience, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, when he had been fasting for 40 days, Satan came to him and said, I know you're hungry. Turn these rocks, these stones into bread. And Jesus' answer was very enlightening because it's true for us. He stayed dependent. And this is how he stayed dependent, by saying, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus knew that listening to the voice of God was just is what sustained his spirit, just like physical food sustains our bodies. And if you want to have spiritual life like he came to show us, you have to hunger for the word of God above all else. And can I just say, an appetite is developed by feeding. If you want to grow an appetite, you feed it. If you want to get a hunger for the word of God, read it and keep reading it. Jesus did. He knew the word. Another way that Jesus showed a life of dependency is by praying. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, because his disciples said, oh, we want to know how to pray like you pray. Teach us to pray. So Jesus told them, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, he saw that prayer is not just about getting your, your desires or your wishes into God. It's about aligning your will with what God wants done. And that's what he said. You have to acknowledge, God, what you want in heaven, I want done on earth. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. Because it's not about aligning your emotions. It's about aligning your will. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus did it. Jesus showed us this way. He modeled it in the garden the night before he goes to the cross. He's sweating drops of blood because of the pressure and the anxiety. And he states three times to his father, Father, if you are willing please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He didn't say anything about how he felt. He aligned his will with what God wanted and said, I'm reminding myself, it's not my will, it's your will be done. And I'll tell you what, prayer 
is hard. And sometimes when you hear what God wants you to do, whether it's through His Word or through other believers or through His Spirit or circumstances, sometimes when you hear what God's asking you, your response of prayer, of aligning to it, is, thank you, Jesus. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. And sometimes it's like Jesus going to the cross. I don't know, God, that's, that's too much, the suffering. If there's another way. But he worked through it and said, not my will, your will be done. That's what prayer is. It's aligning your will, wanting what God wants. And then finally, it's the dependent life has ultimately come to, to conclusion by obedience, by obeying. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I want you to know, he didn't say, my nourishment comes from knowing the will of God. It's from doing the will of God. John 6.38 says, For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. That's a reality in our life. This is the model that Jesus wants us to see. It's not just that he fed crowds and he walked on water. The model he wants us to see is the one who was willing to die to his own will to do the will of the Father. And so the life application is we must choose to live in total dependence on God. You must choose, I must choose every day, moment by moment, to live the same way that Jesus lived. Even though he was God, he lived as a man saying, I can do nothing. You and I have to do the same thing. And we have to surrender to God and his good character and his love and his purpose for us. And we have to lean in and listen. God, I don't know what you want me to do. I, I know my will, but what are you, what's your will? And we find it in his word. And then we pray, God, would you make that my will? The things that are easy, we say, thank you, Jesus. The things that are hard, we say, keep working. This is how we acknowledge, I feel, I don't like it, it's tough, but God, your will has to be done in my life. And then do it. Follow through. And the reason why obedience is last is because it's not legalism. It's not based upon your actions that make God love you. It's based on relationship. And that's what God offers us. Surrender in a relationship with a loving Father. Listen to the one who wants you to know more than you're willing to ask. The one who will empower you and make your will line up with his will and then give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. It's, a, it's an overflow. And this is the model that Jesus had for us. And I want to give you two examples of how this works out. Because some of you might say, those are good four words on a page, but how does it really look in my life? And I can tell you it works for big things, like changing a job, getting married, in my life, I can name all kinds of them. One, just off the top of my head, is I went to seminary one time. When, the first time I went to seminary. I went to seminary many times. <laughs> I finished once, actually. But <laughs> I went and I left because I realized I don't know what I'm doing. And God, why am I here? And I knew that God had a call in my life. I was surrendered to his purpose for my life in making disciples. But I found myself in a place... And I listened. I was like, God, what do you want? And, you know, God's voice came to me. His truth came to me through his spirit and through his word. But it was confirmed by my wife, Janelle. And she looked at me one day and said, you know, we should be on staff with Campus Crusade. This is what God's been playing on my heart. And the funny thing was for three weeks he'd been laying that on my heart. But I was too afraid to bring it up to her because I didn't want to admit that I might have made a mistake or I might be calling us to do something that's really faith-risking. Because I didn't want to have to raise support and ask people to, to give us money. To, to do what God's called us to do. And so I had to pray about that. God, if this is what you're going to do, you've got to change my heart because I'm too proud to do that. And God did. And we followed through and we obeyed. And it's been the greatest lesson in my life about trusting who God is. 
But, you know, it happens in the small things. Yesterday I was in my car, and I'm driving, and out of nowhere a name, a friend of mine, comes to, comes to my heart, comes just to my mind. And it's not unusual, but I don't think about him often. And I said, God, what's, what's this? Is there something going on with Corey? And I kind of thought, well, do I want to call him? Do I not want to call him? He probably doesn't want to listen. You know, and I'm going, if I call him, what am I going to say to him? So I just call and say, hey, Corey, you know, just, God, just put you on my heart. I just want to see how you're doing. You know, I was listening. Work through it. God, is that what you want me to do? And then I obeyed. And he said, Shane, you couldn't have called at a better time. This has been the worst day I've had in about the last two years. And I was just able to encourage him. We can all do that, but that's the life that Jesus modeled for us. And so the last verse there is John 1, 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, I don't want that to be weight of condemnation because none of us can live exactly like but we can live in the way that Jesus showed us how to live. You might not do all the acts, but you can live in the same way. So here's the third thing. I want to wrap this up quickly with some really great news is that Jesus makes it possible for us to live in dependency upon God. Jesus, his, by coming in the flesh, he made it possible. Now listen to this. Here's Jesus' desire. Because you know, when Jesus prays for something, that's his will. That's what he desires for us. And Jesus is praying to his Father. He says, I pray that they, that's us, that's all of us, his followers, will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us also so the world may believe you sent me. See, Jesus' desire is that we'll learn to live that totally dependent life just like Jesus had, he and the Father and the Father in him. He says, I want them to have that same life. Isn't that good news that Jesus is praying that? It's not just a wish that you can have. This is Jesus' prayer for you. Here's the note. We cannot live the Christian life in our own power. That's the reason why he prayed that. Because he knows you and I can't live it in our own strength. How many of you have ever tried it? And you've been found wanting. Me too. Jesus knew that. John fifteen five. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remember, the vine is the source of life. And he says, you're just the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Because he knows we have to live in dependency. John 6, 63, he says, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. If he knew human effort couldn't do it, and Spirit can, is the only one who can accomplish, what do you think the solution for us to live this life? He has to give us the Spirit. Well, good news. That's what his death, and that's what him coming in the flesh allowed him to do. John 16, in the following verses, Jesus talking to his disciples on the night he's, before he's betrayed, he says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. He says, I'm going to God, to the Father. It's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. See, we can be dependent on the one who's going to guide us. And he will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now just real quickly, I I just want to make this clear why this is so important. Last week, John told us the good news that because Jesus came in the flesh, he could die for our sins and we can know that all of our sins are forgiven. But can I tell you there's even more good news than just knowing your sins are forgiven? Because we can all be forgiven, but if we don't have His Spirit, we don't have life. The good news is not only are we forgiven, but we've also been given life through His Spirit. 
And it's just like a little simple illustration. How many of you had a grandmother who canned peaches? You know, what they do is they get jars and cans or whatever. First thing they do is sterilize it. They clean it. They cleanse it. They cleanse it for a reason, so they can put something in it. And that's exactly what God did. He put His Holy Spirit in us, but before His holiness could come into our sinful bodies, He had to cleanse us. He had to forgive us. And when Jesus came in the flesh, He made all that possible. Isn't that good news? Now, here's the final application. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If you want to live the dependent life, the Spirit is within you. There's no junior varsity Christians. There's not some who get the Holy Spirit and some who don't. When you become a Christian, God's Spirit comes to live within you. And now the command is stay in step. Follow. uh, Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Can I just tell you how quickly you do that? We've already talked about it. Jesus has already demonstrated it. Jesus stayed in step with the Spirit, and you can stay in the step with the Spirit the same way. It's by surrendering to God, by listening, by praying, and by obeying. Simple. But you know what? That's the life, and that's the model Jesus wants us to emulate. And if we do that, there's no telling what kind of acts He'll do in and through you for His glory and for your good. So we're going to have a word of prayer. and The band's going to come up and lead us in a final song. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you that your son came and he was a real person that we could see and he was a model for us. But God, he was so much more than just an example. He was the means for us to have this life. And I pray that each and every one of us in this room will learn to surrender more completely and listen more closely and pray more selflessly and obey more fearlessly. God, I just ask that you would do that so we'd experience your life in us. In Jesus' name, amen.